Thanks for tuning into the Texas Family Law Podcast, where we provide you tips and insight to help you navigate divorce and child custody situations. This is Brian Walters. And I'm Jake Gilbreth. We are the managing partners at Walters Gilbreth PLLC with offices in Houston, Austin, and Dallas. And we're both board certified in family law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization. Your hosts are broadcasting from the Lone Star State of Texas, where both have earned a reputation as fierce and effective advocates, both inside and outside the courtroom. All right, for this week, we have uh, big topics that we'll be talking about broad strokes. I think and we're going to be talking about family law jury trials and in other episodes. This topic gets weaved in and out of it. And it's probably something that we could talk hours about what a jury trial looks like strategically when you use a jury trial, what's the best way to to try it, how to approach the various components of it, and of course the cost of it all. But I think for this episode, we wanted to talk on broad strokes about the topic of jury trials. And then obviously we can delve into it in more detail in other episodes or as it comes up when we address other topics. So first off, the question that we get a lot. And I'm always surprised when practitioners don't know the answer to this, but Brian, what issues can a jury determine in a family law case? Yeah, it's a pretty broad number of them. So in a divorce, the court, a jury can decide fault, whether it's just insupportability or if it's something more specific like cruelty or adultery. That's one area. Also, it can determine the value of particular items. It can determine the character particular pieces of property, so separate or community or or whatnot, it can determine attorney fees. And then if we get into the child issues, then it can determine what laymen call um, custody, who has the primary residence. And it can also determine where that primary residence can be established. There are some others here and there, but those are the big ones. Those are the most important ones, unless I've skipped over anything you want to add in. No, I think that's right. Those are the broad issues when you think about why I would make a jury demand, what issues could go uh, before a jury. There's nuances like really a jury decides sole managing conservatorship versus joint managing conservatorship. A jury, if you delve into some of the reimbursement claims that are in the family code or fraud, fraud in the estate, reconstituting the community estate, those are things that you can throw at a jury. But yeah, those are big issues for a jury. It's What's the character of property? What's the value? Those are probably the biggest ones that you go in front of a jury on on the property side. Of course, custody, who has the right to determine the primary residence, so who, quote unquote, has custody, and then move cases, what the geographic restrictions going to be. And yeah, there's other issues that come up that could, that could be brought for a jury. If there's torts brought within the divorce, that could go to a jury, all sorts of issues. Uh, it's important to point out what a jury can't decide. Um, a jury cannot decide, for example, a possession access schedule. The judge sets a possession access schedule for the kids. So if the jury comes back and you know says this parent, father has the right to determine the primary residence, or mother gets to move to Florida, the jury gets to decide those types of issues. And the judge comes in and goes, okay, given the jury's decision, this is what the possession access schedule is going to look like for the kids. So the same deal on property. A jury doesn't divide up, oh, back on kids, the judge sets child support. Jury doesn't determine child support. That's what the judge does. And then on property issues, the jury doesn't divide up property. So they may say wife's business is worth X dollars, 
but it's up to the court to put that number on the spreadsheet and then divide up the property. Or the jury may say that this is husband's separate property, so then the court can't divide that property, but then the court divides up the other property that's, that is before the court uh, that's been determined to be community property. So I look at it as a big questions, the jury, a lot of the big questions the jury decides, and then the judge takes those questions and applies it to the case. And then attorney's fees, for example, the jury determines what's reasonable and necessary uh, or what's reasonable, and then the, ju- the judge can decide whether or not to award the attorney's fees or not. They don't decide everything. It's not like you take a divorce and just toss the whole thing to 12 jurors or six jurors if it's county court, 12 jurors in district court. And it's not like you some jurors are going to have to be back in the jury room figuring out a possession access schedule for the kids or what guideline child support is. Uh, they don't have to do those questions, but they do get these big questions. So next question, talking strategically, why uh, make a jury demand a case? Because it's most people will say that most divorce cases, even most child custody cases, go to what we call a bench trial where a judge just decides everything. When you're on TV and you see the criminal cases, they're almost all in front of juries. But divorces and custody cases, for, for most people, go primarily for, uh, and a judge decides everything in, in front of a bench trial. What are types of things, Brian, because uh, I think you and I probably end up pushing cases to a jury more than probably a lot of our peers. Some of that's based on experience. Some of that's, I think, just the way we see cases strategically. But talk to me about what, when you're thinking about a client and think about whether or not you make a jury demand in a case, what type of things do you take into consideration? There's a couple of things. One is the, the judge versus jury. Of course, a jury is going to be, as you said, six or 12 people randomly selected from the community. So you can maybe get a sense of what the community people would likely rule versus the particular judge that you have. And, and that's a complicated question because some areas like you know San Antonio and Austin, for example, you have a central docket, so you don't really know which judge you're going to get until the last second, where in most of the rest of the state, pretty much when you file which judge you're going to get. So for example, if you if you had a custody hearing early in the case, what, what we call temporary orders um, that your client lost, and we didn't think it was a good reason that they lost, it's the judge for some reason took a disliking to your client, then to our client, then in that case, you might say to yourself, when we go to finalize this, I think we're going to get a, a fairer or a new review of this from a jury. So that would be the first reason why, when you think a jury would give you or your client a better outcome than, than a, the existing judge would be. Again, complicated by the question of if you know which judge that's going to be. Secondly, there's, I think, a preference among judges to be predictable, which makes a lot of sense, right? They want to be predictable so that lawyers know what they're going to do and are likely to do, and then therefore cases settle. That's the the basis of our legal system. Very few cases actually go to a final trial, whether it's a bench or jury. Our court system would be overwhelmed if that happens. Judges tend to, for example, not allow moves in move cases. Both parents are in Houston. They're unlikely to allow one of the parents to move to Florida. But juries, we generally, we think, are a little more flexible about that and, and might take into consideration the broader scope of things where judges might be leaning toward, okay, nobody's going to get to move is the policy that's out there, for example. And in that case, the judge might feel pressure to 
rule that way to just be consistent with the other judges and, and have, a, have that rule out there. So that would be the second reason for it. The third reason is that a jury trial typically makes a case last longer and is more expensive. And for certain litigants, they want that. They either don't want the case to be over with quickly or they're able to outspend or willing to outspend the other side in the case. And therefore requesting a jury or demanding a jury is going to be an advantage because it's going to put the other side under pressure that they want the case over with quickly or they don't want to spend a lot of money. And so it, it, it increases the leverage that you would have in a case. So those are the three most common reasons why someone would ask for a jury, at least as I've seen it. Yeah, I think that's right. It, there's every single case, I think there's a different analysis. I know internally in the office, because uh, you have to make a jury demand, at a minimum, you have to make it at least 30 days out from trial. And I know in, in all of our offices, the, the associates are trained to be thinking about throughout the case and to have the discussion with the partner of, on this case, do we make a jury demand? Do we do it? And why? I think adding to what you said, I think, frankly, the way I see our cases in our office, making a jury demand, I think, gives us a strategic advantage in some instances because, frankly, we do them more. I'm shocked. When I hear other people talk about jury trials, and I think a lot of other practitioners talk to their clients about how difficult they are and how rare they are and how hard it is to do, and it adds this big level of complexity to the case. Uh, frankly, that's how I was trained uh, as a young associate, is that a, a, a jury trial just makes the case just so much more difficult. Certainly, and we'll talk about this in a second, it certainly makes it more, I think, more difficult. There's more parts to it. But we've done those. When I think a lot of jur- practitioners, when they think about, for example, voir dire, when you pick a jury, a lot of them go and hire experts and hire consultants and bring people in to practice and do this. And then they haven't done a voir dire in, in 10 years. And so they're just nervous as all get out. And frankly, I think before COVID, I, was, I think last year, Brian, I think combined between me and you, we probably tried t- uh, between seven and 10 jury trials last year combined between the two offices. It's just not... It's not the end of the world for us. Now, it's something to be taken very seriously, but if you've done it time in and time out, then I think it gives us an advantage over, frankly, over other practitioners just because we've done it. So if I've got a case that's on the line and I'm not quite sure if we want to do a jury trial or not, then, then I factor that into what my decision or whether or not I make the demand or not. Sometimes make the demand to preserve the right because uh, you haven't made the decision. Deadlines are approaching and you make the jury demand, and then you can always decide or talk to the other side and decide to try to bench trial instead. Um, some cases are so obvious you just don't have a choice but to make a jury demand. For example, if your client went in front of a judge on temporary orders and the judge just, and it's a case, it's a jurisdiction like Harris County or Williamson County uh, or Dallas County where you're in front of one judge and that judge for temporary orders is going to be your judge for final trial. And you go, your client goes in front of temporary orders and the judge just pours them out and clearly doesn't buy the, anything they're saying and doesn't like them and already prejudice against that client. That's one where it's pretty obvious that you have to make a jury demand. I think on move cases, like you were saying, Brian, a lot of judges don't let people move. I'm kind of of the position, I can always be talked out of it, but I'm in the position if you're asking to move, it's almost always, if not always, a jury issue because uh, judges, I think they, they, like you said, have a blanket rule of people don't move outside the geographic area. I don't care what the reasons are. 
we're just not going to let people move. And if we all say people can't move, maybe they'll all stop asking me. Jurors, I think, actually give you uh, much more of a fair shake on whether or not there's going to be a move. I know we've been successful in having juries, convincing juries to let clients move when we knew there's no way a judge won't let them move. Um, and I think the last thing I would say, I tend to tell clients that I think jurors tend to be more skeptical of mental health professionals and really experts in general, more so than judges. And we talk about this some in our blogging, but if you have a guardian ad line, for example, that are a custody evaluator that is just completely against, you just totally missed the ball and is against the client and didn't do a good job and just biased against your client or for whatever reason just got it wrong. It's hard and they'll do it, but it's hard for a judge to sit there and look at that mental health professional that she appointed to the case and then say, but I'm not going to listen to the guardian or the custody evaluator, even though I appointed him or her. Jurors, I think, are a lot more skeptical about what mental health professionals have to say. I think a lot of times for good reason, but jurors should be a lot more skeptical. So we talk about that whenever we make the decision, but it really is sort of case by case situation. I know this, we've tried, you know, last year we tried everything from move cases to custody cases to some property issues. And I think it was last year, you and I even tried uh, fault to a jury. I think that was last year, wasn't it? Yep, that's right. Mm-hmm. And that had some interesting torts mixed in with it. So those are, it's a discussion that needs to be had. And I want to talk about costs in just a second. I guess one thing I'll win before we do and um, not really case related, but I, I make this speech anytime I talk about jury trials is I do think uh, what's interesting, this case that you and I tried last week, I'm sorry, last year reminded me about this is sometimes I've noticed that some judges, not a lot, but some judges I think push back on jury demands and they have to let you have it. You have a constitutional right to it, but you get this deal of, well, why do you need a jury trial? And these poor people are going to sit here and sit through a, a, a divorce case. Who wants to sit through a divorce case? Who wants to sit through a custody case? These poor citizens that are here. As somebody who's tried a bunch of jury trials, what's always fascinating to me is I think most jurors, when you see, when they start out the case, you do have that attitude. Can't believe I'm here. And I'm going to have to listen to a divorce jury trial all week, which I get. Who, who wants to do that? I've yet to have a jury, a single member of any of my jurors, have anything but just wonderful things to say about what an amazing experience it is. Now, I think it's hard sometimes. Those cases where it's been really emotional for them, really difficult for the members of the jury to figure out and decide. But I think it's almost like this weird thing that clicks on day two or three where they really figure out we really are making a difference in this family's life and they really do need our help. And, and this is a sort of a solemn duty that's in our constitution. And I've had great feedback uh, from the jurors. And I always, when I talk to judges about jury trials and stuff like that, I always bring that up that I've just, every single juror member I've had has always just taken their oath so seriously and really, you know, really I've enjoyed the right word, but really took, really took something from the experience. So, I know, Brian, that case, uh, if you remember that case we tried last year on fault, and it was fault and had a few other issues. Some people could have, I think even the judge a little bit was like, yeah, why are you really going to try this to a jury? And these people are going to listen to this divorce for all week. And if you remember, we tried it and we got a verdict, I think at eight o'clock at night. It's Harris County, got eight o'clock at night. And the jury gave, gave us the fault grounds that we asked for. And it's pouring down rain, and so you would think that all the jurors, and it was, I forget which storm it was, but it was really coming down. 
And you would think all the jurors would want to go home. And they all stuck around, talked to us and the lawyers. And I think it was, they said it to you or to opposing counsel, but one of them said, we figured out day two or three that this family really needed our help moving forward. And so we took it really seriously. That's why they took till eight o'clock at night to the side. We gave them the charge at 11, I think, maybe noon or right after lunch. But they stayed all the way till eight o'clock deciding uh, those issues. They really took it seriously. But back to our clients. So Brian, talk to me about cost, uh, because that's, that is something that needs to be when you decide about whether or not to make that demand or not. What, is the, what does it have to do with the cost whenever you make that decision? What effect does it have when you make that decision to make the demand? Yeah, it's going to make it clear that if it does actually go to a trial, it's going to be more expensive than, than to a bench trial. There are two reasons for that. One is that it's, it takes longer. If you file your jury demand 35 days before it's set for trial, it's going to bump it three or four months or more out into the future. Actually, these days, it's bumped it to an <laughs> uncertain date into the future, but they, I'm sure they will happen again. So anytime a case goes longer, that's more expensive, but it's just also more expensive to try one a, a case to a jury for two reasons. One is that you have to do a lot more preparation. With a bench trial in front of a judge, you, the judge can sort things out. And if something is said by somebody that's inappropriate, the judge will just say, well, I'm going to forget about that. Not sure if that's always true, but they're going to they're gonna say that and they're going to try that, try to do that. Whereas with a jury trial, you have to be much more careful about what you even can say yeah, to a, in, in front of a jury. And so there's a process involved with that. There's a process involved with picking the jury. Typically, you bring in 40 to 50 people, and it gets narrowed down to 12 or so that, that are actually going to sit on the jury. That's a process. I would say that a three-day trial to a judge is probably going to take closer to five days to try to a jury. It's probably yeah. a pretty good ratio. And so just it's more time, uh, more lawyer time. It is more expensive. I have seen people use the jury demand as an, an intimidation tactic to the other side that they think is not willing or able to pay for those additional fees. And it can be effective. It's a dirty little secret of our legal system that the, the side willing to pay more to good lawyers often gets more of what they want than the side who's not as willing. And you look at that a lot of different ways, but it's just the reality. And you can expect to pay more with a jury trial, and that may increase the pressure on both sides to settle, and maybe it'll settle, but it also may increase the, the pressure on just one side. And so it can be a tactic that you can use as well, in addition to the extra trial itself, is actually just setting it. Yeah, I think that's right. And what you're saying about the time period is exactly right. When in Travis County, the way they do it, Judge Livingston's typically the one that is uh, calling the jury docket. And she says, I want to hear your time announcement. And when you announce the time, you need to include a day for uh, pretrial. And because Travis County, they actually don't have pretrial conferences the week before, like Harris County does. They do pretrial that the day up. So half a day for pretrial, half a day for picking a jury. So that's one one day to your time announcement, and then a, a day for deliberation of the jury deciding. Yeah, I think adding two, two days to it uh, does, is a good estimate. Travis County, for example, has specific local rules for jury trials. Harris County, if you try a case, uh, and I think every single district court, it has local rules about exchanging exhibits, exchanging witness lists, 
exchanging objections before before final trial. Travis County actually doesn't have, or at least pre-COVID, didn't have a lot of those rules except for jury trials. Uh, it's kind of the thing I used to complain about a lot was that you would show up at trial and nobody's, nobody's exchanged exhibits, nobody's exchanged witness lists, but you'd have to do that in jury trial and then bench trials. Everybody was fumbling all over themselves. So we would show up with exhibit lists and witness lists and pre-marked exhibits. Nobody else would, which is just maddening. I don't know why they had the rules like that. Actually, interesting, COVID uh, has now required, made them change the rules. Now everybody has to show up with pre-marked exhibits and everything, but it's tighter rules. It's like you were saying, it's just because they're so there's different nuances with the jury trial, then it's much tighter rules. I think it's a good thing about them is that people have to show up a lot more prepared than they would for a bench trial. So it does cause an expense. And of course, that's something that we talk about whenever we consider making the demand. So that, I think, is a really broad overview about family law jury trials. We could probably spend an hour or two talking about how they actually work from point A to point Z on trying a jury trial. There's, I know there's a YouTube video that we have on it. And then I know we have content too about the anatomy of a jury trial, all good stuff. I find it fascinating at least. And of course, it's something that we talk about with our clients pretty much throughout the case. So I think that's a pretty good overview though, don't you, Brian? Yep, I think it does. And uh, we can certainly dive into more of the details in the future. Yeah, I think so. All right, that'll wrap up this week and I'll see you next time. Sounds good. Uh, Bye. Bye.